Welcome everybody to <laughs> the Movie Overload podcast. It's you know a, it's a it's a weekly podcast we do where we go through the hundred greatest films in, in cinema. Or, you know, uh, and, and the important greatest films. Question mark? Important. Greatest question mark? Yeah, because we definitely have some ones that are not as good as ones that aren't on this list. But the important films, okay? Yeah. Uh, you know, trying to go through the history of cinema from a trip to the moon to Parasite, everything in between, except. For, for example, Woody Allen, fuck him. Um, yeah. Roman Polanski as well. Fuck. Luc Besson. <laughs> Pedophiles, Boom. not welcome. Um, in general. In general. I am the friend. That's my name. And the with friend. me as always, I, I have I have Aiden, I have okay. Hunter, I and I have Annan. Woohoo! Grand old time. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, more or less... In movie overload history, not all of us have actually seen the movie. Indeed. It's true. <laughs> and we it's... were just discussing the fact that I did not watch it because I am sensitive and probably would have died. And I'm over here wishing that I also hadn't seen it because <laughs> I'm also very sensitive and did die. Well, for what it's worth, as this was my first time seeing this movie, I want to say thank you for putting it on the movie as a good incentive for me watching it because... I kind of liked it. Yeah, it definitely does seem like, in theory, the kind of thing that both of you guys would like. But just having not seen things like it throughout the whole movie, I was like, I don't... uh." And it's really interesting because I was reflecting on how the people that I know that like movies like this Hmm. are nice people. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you describe <laughs> it to me for context? Because yeah. yes. so, you guys are nice people. They are very nice people. It's just I don't know how to find enjoyment in suffering in that same way. Well, so that's... It's not enjoyment in suffering that as much. Well, <laughs> Hunter's face was a little bit... Well, I like suffering. No, I, no, no, yeah. It's like it's not one of those things that's like... Yeah, it's a fun movie. Like it's not. There's it's there's not, not really any fun to be had here. But also, it did. I guess I don't it's know. you should keep going. It's a sore yeah. thing. It's like a gut punch movie. Yeah. Uh, it didn't really punch my guts. Uh, I thought the cinematography was really interesting in a lot of points, mm-hmm. and sure. it's really cool what they were able to do camera-wise and movement-wise, how clean it looked uh, as far as movement and stuff goes. It's a very dirty-looking movie uh, on no money. Like, they started off filming with $60,000. By the end, they had a, about $120,000, $140,000 wow. um, as the how entire budget. How did they get budget. more money while filming? Uh, they, that they sounds got... like fake news. <laughs> So they started off with their budget. Market works. (laughs) No, so actually, it's quite often what happens with lower budget movies is that they shoot until they run out of money. Then they go out and find other investors and like, here's what we have so far. Uh, Would you like to invest and help us finish this movie? Wow. Uh, And so, the final cumulative budget of the film was somewhere around hundred twenty, one hundred forty thousand dollars. And schnazzy. The the big reason why this movie is on the list is because it is a part of the renaissance of independent filmmaking that happened in the 20th century. Uh, 
independent, low-budget filmmaking. We have films like Easy Rider, George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, and Texas Chainsaw, which were made on very small budgets. And Texas Chainsaw, on its budget of $120,000, $140,000, made over $10 million. Yeah. It was a very successful movie. Dang. Uh, which, like, it, it's in some ways the low budget qualities of the movie the earthiness the the naturalism that they were able to achieve through a lot of it is kind of what makes it work and kind of what makes it really effective and notable right and stuff mm-hmm. and things can you tell the bit about the mafia yeah so what? uh the other interesting bit about this movie is that when they finished the movie they shopped it around to distributors because to be able to get a movie in theaters and get people to actually see it through physical media sales and anything what used to have to happen is you'd have to go to a a physical company whose job it was to distribute the movies and so you could have movies when you see like a whole bunch of studio logos in front of a movie Sometimes what winds up happening is you have a movie that's like produced and made independently and then distributed by like Paramount Paramount or MGM or something like that. Right? Well, they shopped the movie around to like all of the major distributors and all of them passed. They're like, no way. We're not going to distribute this. Then they found this one company. They saw it and they're like, we'll pay you for it right now. Just on the table. And they're like, sure. Then they get back and then they realize uh, the company is owned by the mafia. <laughs> What? Yes. Nice. Uh, Why did the mafia like, were they like, ha ha, educational material? No. So I, there are a number of different theories as to like what the nature of a lot of these companies were. Because there are a lot of companies that are kind of like owned by criminal organizations. Uh, and they're either trying to embezzle funds and like kind of launder money through a official company. So that, oh, we officially have some sort of income coming in. And a big part of this movie is that a lot of the actors uh, foregoed, forgot, whatever. They didn't uh, get paid the full amount that they were going to get paid for shares in the movie. They're like, okay, of of the amount of money the movie makes, we'll get however much money. We're we're buying shares in the end goal. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, the the studio that produced it only owned about a third of the rights to like the amount of money that was coming in. So the actors didn't know that. So they thought when the movie made like ten million (laughs) dollars, we're gonna get like a check for like a couple grand or something. Billion dollars. Yeah. It sounds like it'd be fun, but then they get their first check and it's like. 40 bucks, 27 bucks, because uh, though the film made $10 million, the total amount of the money that got back to the production company actually made it five grand. Dang, what? And Wait, they, where, what? The thought is, is that the company that was owned by the mafia wound up like embezzling and stealing a lot of the profits from the film. And shortly after the film released, it officially declared bankruptcy, despite the fact that they had just released a $10 million movie, which means that a lot of the people probably just t- uh, took, cut their checks and like ran. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, yeah, we, we are now really successful, so we aren't 
uh, we're someone's going to look into our finances, and so we're just going to call it quits here and just take our money and go home. Dang. So there are some mixed feelings about the movie. Uh, it was shooting, really interesting, actually. Shooting conditions were garbage. It was August in Texas, and it was consistently around 104 degrees yeah. each day. It's supposed to be 108 in Bend tomorrow, just oh, so you know. Man. Yeah. We're going to die. It's um, fine. Do you guys have air conditioning? Oh, yeah, I have do. air conditioning in my bedroom, and yeah. that's it. Oh. Because I live upstairs. Right. Fun. Everyone's going to be crowding into your room. Oh, yeah. Gonna have a picnic dinner on your bedspread. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's talk about other horrible things. <laughs> uh, yeah, fun times. So let's so, hear some wait, thoughts. Like, oh, what, what, what are your questions? I was gonna say, like, what's it about? Yeah. In broad terms, I'm a horrible yeah. person, and I did. I have. I have no information about this no. movie except what you just told me in the yeah. last five minutes. So let's let's go through this, baby. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's rock this uh, Texas massacre down mm-hmm. to the ground. So this <laughs> is one of the first slasher movies, which is a genre of horror, and it's interesting as a subgenre because it is defined by tropes. A slasher movie is a movie where a masked serial killer of some sort kills members of a large ensemble cast until there is usually one person left, known as, like, the final girl. Uh, they usually, because the movies are tend to have basically the exact same plot every time, the teenagers or whoever go off, run around, and get killed one by one. The things that make it stand out are the way they'd sell it was like gimmicks. So they would get a, each killer has like a, an iconic weapon, which mm. is usually like a blunt, uh, a bladed or blunt force object. So like in this movie, chainsaw uh, really popularized the use of chainsaws in horror because before then it wasn't really thought of as a slaughter weapon because if you actually tried to kill someone with a chainsaw, the chain would stick. Pretty quickly, yeah, it would like be you, terrible. Could, you could mess someone up with it, sure, but it's not really the most efficient, like killing weapon. And you're so but like in the imagination. Yeah, we. <laughs> I don't know. We just cut down a tree, and like the amount of like bark that gets mm. on you when you're using a chainsaw yeah. to cut down a tree. The big thing, <clears throat> the thing that the, the chainsaw is good at in this movie is being loud mm-hmm. and uh, being like very I, I think this movie can get away with like feeling more violent than it actually is because of like the the loudness and like the aggressiveness of a lot of the different aspects of it like the, the like, this this specific horror movie a bunch of kids are taking a trip through Texas uh, road trip through Texas uh Four, five teens in a car. Are uh, they supposed to be teens? <laughs> uh, late teens, like early twenties, like huh. you know, young ki- young people. Okay. Uh, they're driving through Texas. Uh, they stop and pick up a hitchhiker because 
that's a great idea. Because you do that in the seventies. Like, yeah, dude, let's do it. You do it. He uh is is a bit off and likes talking about slaughterhouses. He works at the slaughterhouse killing uh cows. Uh, is it a Temple Grandin slaughterhouse? Uh not not really the same same vibe. I know one thing about slaughterhouses. <laughs> I watched the documentary about Temple Grandin and I was like, "Wow! Amazing." Well, the big thing in this movie is that there are people who are like the modern way of killing animals is more humane where they take a little pneumonic yeah. thing and like do it through the head. But then there are these old slaughterhouse people who are like the best way is with the sledgehammer. Which is just what this, yes. you know, clearly kind of off dude that they've picked up is saying. Mm-hmm. They just have a very, like, uncomfortable conversation about slaughtering animals. Then oh. he just kind of feels like that sets the tone for the movie being just like, oh, yeah, we're just kind of passing through. But, like, this guy just kind of won't stop talking about, like, really uncomfortably killing cows. And, and then he, and like, stuff. takes the guy's knife and he, like, cuts his own hand yeah, and he's, like, weird. bleeding. And then he, like cuts the other guy and then like takes a picture of him and like ex- sets it on fire and then like runs out of their car and then like wipes his blood on the side of the car as we're driving away. Yeah. What? Essentially. The heck? So it escalates pretty quickly. Um, no, the way that they do like a lot of the gore effects in this movie is, is just really, really low budget. Like um, for nice. like cuts, how they do it is they take an, uh, a dull knife and they put a little tube next to it and they get a pouch full of the blood and then they just have someone squeeze the blood out as they move <laughs> the knife across the hand. So you just get like this r- line of red kind of there and you're like, ah, it's cut. You don't Yeah, see it doesn't much. look that realistic, thankfully, but it doesn't yeah. really matter. Like that's the no. thing about this movie yeah. is like everything that's uncomfortable that happens, any of the sledgehammer deaths or anything... It doesn't really look that yeah. realistic. It doesn't show too it's much. It's just screen. that not, it's really, really unsettling actually, anyway. Yeah. And it's that's just, the thing that gets me is it's like nothing scared me or made me jump. But at the end of it, I was just like, okay, it's time to like compartmentalize it's just and this, forget it. It's just like an stuff. hour and a half of this nightmare scenario. I mean, it just sounds just like psychologically uncomfortable. Like even because mm. like, when I watch movies like that, I'm always like, oh, I can pick apart the effect. Like, I know that it's totally tacky, but then your yeah. brain is like, mm-hmm. but you can imagine what it would look like if it wasn't totally tacky. Yeah. And then you crawl in a hole and die. Yeah, you yeah. just kind of put yourself in the position <laughs> of being trapped there. Yeah. I think you're really picking up on what I personally find appealing in horror movies, which is putting yourself safely in very uncomfortable situations where where all of these different things are happening and it's a bit uh it's it's this excitement and, and exhilaration that you would get from like an action movie you see a car going down the highway and there's a car chase and you get invested in it and like get your adrenaline up and it gets you invested in the movie horror movies are very much the same way but instead of building off of like a more action-centric thing it's it's more that subtle uncomfortableness that that like fear and uncertainty so like napoleon dynamite where you're just like uncomfortable the whole time (laughs) yeah 
but for what? different reasons. There are <laughs> some there are some horror movies that kind of play like Napoleon Dynamite if uh it was dark and sad and uh You go to Napoleon's relentless. house but he is gonna cut Kill off your you. toe or something. I don't know. <laughs> Well, yeah. Whack you yeah. with his spoon. There's a bit where I thought they were gonna like chop off her finger, but they don't. They do something more uncomfortable <laughs> when they get her kind of caught. Yeah. They like uh, cut her finger and then like stick her bleeding finger into their grandpa's mouth, and he's like sucking on the blood. What? But, like it's weird because he's <laughs> he doesn't look like a grandpa. He's like oh, this he looks like a creepy mannequin, right? Like he looks like supernaturally old if that makes sense yeah like yeah. you think that he's like he should be you dead. think that he's, he's a corpse until he's he isn't dead. <laughs> yes but like but like don't they make a joke about the other guy being a vampire when they pick him up yeah well that's that's a weird Which thing kind of, is he's like, like there's no context like, for any oh, of that, family like, of vampires yeah and then like, then they kind of suck on blood and then it's like oh like, mm, okay because they're no kind of because they're like, essentially well, cannibals right i think so yeah so that's uh the big sort of through line that is the horror, horror part of the movie Ooh. is that there is this family that lives out in the backwoods of Texas and they have like out. a whole bunch of like abandoned cars around their house that they have hidden. And that checks out. They kill people and they uh, eat them. And they... Uh, it's heavily implied that uh, one of the one of the guys, uh, spoiler alert, he works at this gas station that they stop off at first, and he makes the best barbecue. And it's heavily implied <laughs> that that barbecue is people. Is people cool? And do they okay. try to? Yeah, were they trying to eat her? The la- the one who survives at the end, or were they just trying to feed her? Well, so I. I think it's assumed that what they were trying to do eventually is uh, kill her and eat her. They, yeah, but they, they try to get the grandpa to do it, and he keeps dropping the hammer. Yeah, <laughs> they're like going to do it as a joke, but it ends up being the only reason that she's able to escape. So, hooray! And I've that, been told that I would be the second to last person to die in a horror movie. <laughs> I yeah, yeah no, because isn't the second to last person to die like the very like worried, conscientious person? Yeah, like and they like make the it emotional far. support to the other people, and so when they die, it's like that's when if you haven't cried already, that's when you're crying. Mm. I guess. Yeah, he, he dies real sudden. <laughs> yeah, that's true, and just unceremoniously. Jeez, yeah, this is kind of how they all go. But yeah, that's yeah. and and the the killing scenes in the movie are very uh, like. Yeah. Except for one of them. Uh, the the second one is not fun at all. Oh, because oh yeah, I, I'm yeah. Oh, you See, can describe I think... it. I don't. I don't. He he just so so her her boyfriend gets killed. He goes into the it's, house and he doesn't come out, and so she like follows him, and then the guy like come who killed him like comes out and grabs her and picks her up and she's like flinging around and kicking and trying to get out but he's just really big and then he just kind of puts her on a meat hook while he's like finishing up chopping up the other guy and she's just oh. there on a meat hook 
screaming in pain because oh. she's on a meat hook. Yeah. Yeah, I would hate, like, I, <laughs> like, even just these descriptions, like, I don't know what I would do if I actually watched a horror movie. I don't know if I would, like, want to throw up or, like, I, pr- I would just be so viscerally uncomfortable and, like, mm. afraid. I think, I don't, I don't, we were talking about this because, like. Okay, we'll get to this when we watch uh, Eraserhead, because, like, Eraserhead. Mm. I just, it gets me really weird, and I don't like it. And Persona did the same thing. And I think it has to do with being really empathetic and being able to put myself there, and then, like, I don't enjoy it as an escape or as, Mm. like, an exercise in, like, wow, like, being in this dangerous situation is, like, kind of interesting. I'm more just, like... She just died, and her mom is, like, alive somewhere, and, like, her dad, and, like, what if she had siblings, and, like, her college roommate's probably really upset about this, and then, like, I have to drive through Texas now? Like, (laughs) no thank you! And I just get really sad thinking about the people's families. I think, well, I like it, I, I feel like I can handle a lot of, like, psychological like distress and drama in the drama context Mm. like i I can put myself into the shoes of like if it's not like too overwhelmingly messed up or whatever like i can put myself in that empathetic zone and um i don't know feel like i'm getting something out of it but the feeling of being trapped with like really creepy scary people i can't like like 10 Cloverfield Lane or something. Like I can't, it just, that's it. And the images of those people, like, like somebody doing this kind of motion, like, like John Goodman does in that movie when he gets mad and he's like, (laughs) I can't, like I, I just am too scared of, of people. I think, um, I can handle the psychological distress, but I can't handle the scary people <laughs> because they're people that are like, cause, cause you, it's, it's not hard as an empathetic person to like get into the, like, why are they like this? Yeah. And then you like, get stuck in, in the them? scary like, person's head stemming from? a little bit. Like, it's just like, why is this family this way? What kind of, horrifying existences that that they have inside of their mind and Mm. and same with john goodman or whatever and that's the bit that's like uh like i I, I don't i don't know and then you just want to help everybody and you you feel bad like i feel bad for those people because they probably had something really tragic happen to them and then i feel bad for their victims and i just like Mm -hmm. want to help them so much (laughs) yeah i think you are on on money right now because the thing that I find uh, the most interesting about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of stems from like how I kind of experience movies. I think that the big difference I've noticed between friend and me watching movies is that I do not like get sucked into movies. I haven't since I was a kid, and so I'm just watching them. And uh, because there's nothing like that there, they don't tend to hurt me, if that mm. makes sense. So I can, like, watch them and get things out of them uh, without really having all of the 
negative, hurty things most of the time, with like some exceptions mm-hmm. of things like Elf, uh, <laughs> which hurts me. <laughs> this movie's fine. Elf hurt me. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> my my. We're gonna real... watch horror movies, Aiden style. <laughs> I think that this movie though is really interesting in the actual breakdown of what is happening with these characters and what horror kind of does because simultaneously horror is a withholding of normative views of morality and like acceptable behavior the horror villain the thing you are afraid of is the deviant the thing that is rejected by society but on the other hand, while it oftentimes reinforces like puritanical values, horror also, through just the act of portraying the things that it does and being what it is, confronts like more puritanical uh, conservative notions within our popular culture because... This, despite the fact that the morality upheld in a lot of horror movies is very fail, fairy tale esque, like the construction of horror movies is is really basic on a fundamental level. If you go through how people break down mythology, most like stories start with like an interdiction, which is a uh, a rule that is established that is is only established so that someone can break it at some point hmm. because when you when you go into a movie and they're like don't go into the woods at that point narratively speaking someone has to go into the woods someone has it's to true. violate it's that rule Nemo. yeah because don't touch the it's a very simple I'm gonna touch the butt. it's it's establishing uh it's kind of like foreshadowing. It's it's in a story like establishing like tension. You're like, ooh, don't do that. What's going to happen when that happens? That like question, ooh, but what happens if is what drives and like compels people within a story. And so this story starts off very, very simply. They stop at the gas station. They're like, hey, uh, there's this like old house by here, right? And he's like, you don't want to go mess around some old house kids. Just just wait here until the gas comes later. Just wait. And it's kind of implied that if they didn't break the rules, none of this would happen. So that's why that's basically like, yeah, don't break any rules. That's the rule. Don't break any rules. How do we read horror movies? Because this is a really, really hard thing that people sh- like argue with a lot because. It kind of can be punching down a lot. For an example from this movie, the character of Leatherface is portrayed by an actor who, to prepare for the role, spent, uh, I think, like two weeks at a mental hospital trying to emulate the uh, uh, behavior patterns of patients who are on the autistic autistic spectrum. Is the character supposed to be autistic? Essentially, yes. So, Hmm. essentially what Leatherface is in this movie is uh, really an 
innocent child that is uh, mentally not like 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 he's the brute with the chainsaw but also he's he doesn't talk like he just yeah so he's nonverbal like, yeah he, he just kind of uh, makes sounds and i don't know seems to be acting a lot more out of fear than out of malice He's easily that just cap- breaks my heart. Like, See, now I have exactly. so much like sympathy yeah. for Leatherface, and I'm like, "You poor baby! Like you have autism spectrum disorder, and no one helped you, and no one taught you how to talk." And- <laughs> but then, and then you see sad. him put someone on a meat well, hook, and it's like, except yeah. so it's just a lot. A lot of this movie, and a lot of uh, what happens in uh, the weird off the wall sequel that Tobi- Toby Hooper made a decade later, is. It's all based around this idea of this family. It's the family. But the family is an incredibly patriarchal power structure. It is all men. There is a the corpse of an old woman up in the attic that's implied to be like, oh, there's a woman there. But there's the grandpa, there's the dad, and there's the two sons, Leatherface and the uh, hitchhiker. Face. <laughs> <laughs> the hitchhiker from the beginning. sorry continue yeah well (laughs) the 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 thing that's like really really heartbreaking about it is that it seems to be based around this pattern of abusive behavior that the father is incredibly abusive towards his two sons and uh also like really uh it's the sort of like bad toxic father and bad environment where if these characters if you read it you could see that these characters are either being corrupted by the environment that they're in like leatherface might not be killing people if he wasn't raised by a family of cannibals right Uh, but also, it's really a lot of the negative connotations that can come across from a movie like this is also stereotyping all people who are seen as like rednecks or hicks as like disgusting, gross, uneducated, dangerous people. Or people with autism spectrum disorder. Exactly. Where. A big thing in horror movies is the insane killer, which really was a reaction to the murders of Jeffrey Dahmer, who seemed to be a fairly normal guy, uh, was incredibly misogynistic, and he killed a bunch of people and uh, kept their body parts in various forms and was... A lot of the reporting around it at the time painted him as a sexual deviant and a transvestite, which led to a bunch of movies inspired by it, such as the movie Psycho, uh, giving a very tra- like transphobic sort of reading of a lot of these characters, because there is like no a- actual evidence that... Jeffrey Dahmer, like, actually 
did anything to like dress as a woman or act like 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 it is just a thing that was put about by like tabloid magazines trying to spread like fear yeah it's like selling papers through this salacious content transphobia yeah and that sort of impulse to take an outsider group to take a a a, someone who is non-normative and is therefore like an outsider and is a bit frightening because people don't really understand them and then say no this is actually a dangerous person when see and that also breaks my heart because I don't know, like, seeing the outsider kids in high school or, like, people make jokes about, like, if you get that one, like, really shy, sad, depressed kid, like, make friends with them because they'll probably be a school shooter. Like, that whole attitude that we have Mm. on, like, like, watching YouTube comedy and, like, that's a joke that people make. And, I mean, that, I think that might be another reason why I don't like horror movies because I also, like, you are representing a real population of people like, obviously, I'm not defending your actions. Like, if we're talking about real serial killers, like, yikes. But mm. also, I don't know. Like, you can get help. There could... Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I just feel bad for those populations that are, like, put under. And then, and then like, people in that position are like, well, my population is stereotyped to be school shooters. Yes. Here I am we get all of these bad stereotypes while in actuality the groups that are like have like mental disorders or have physical or emotional disabilities are painted as things to be feared in horror movies and popular culture whereas in real life they're far far more likely to have violence acted upon them than mm-hmm. to act violence upon someone else mm-hmm. they well, are the violence upon them because we've been taught to fear them a big part of it yeah definitely along with just this natural sort of societal tendency to like distance yourselves from people that you see as being other or different and so like the people who are actually very dangerous people in our society who wind up committing like large-scale violence and doing horrible things tend to be like you know normative het straight guys Mm -hmm. that's that's true the majority of violence in this country is done you look at like all of the shootings all, all pretty much all of them like, in, yeah. in, in, especially in this state, but in this country, yeah. Yeah, it, like, as far as domestic terrorism is concerned, people are always, like, ah, so afraid of Muslims when most terrorism, domestic terrorism in the United States is perpetrated by, like, not Muslims. Like, it's <laughs> a lot of it isn't religiously motivated, or if it is, it's, like, generally tied to some like different conservative ideals yeah no i mean it it does seem like it it tends to be white dudes i guess yeah yeah and that's where you reach sort of like how do we actually 
read and deal with this stuff because there is a certain level to where reading against the text, purposely reading the villainous characters as sympathetic. Like you do, Anna. Like you're like, I don't think I could do these movies because I'm constantly thinking about like the like the killer as not a force of pure malicious evil, but as an actual human being. That's what has makes it like, so freaking uncomfortable. Levels to oh, them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas layers, as you could say. Like an onion. Like an onion. As you could also say. And then they peel off the layers of the... Talking about monsters, like Guillermo del Toro, my boy, he is very famous for uh, falling in love with the monsters in monster Mm -hmm. movies. Mm -hmm. And his entire career has been like just making monster movies where the monsters are kind of heroic. That That's like the... If if you were to read him as like an auteur, that would be like one of the core tenets. Like the Hunchback of Notre Dame? Question mark. Definitely the, the fishback of Notre Dame. <laughs> you get stuff like that where a, a common what? trope in he, the, he he's got big fishy guys. They're they're okay. fish. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. The Shape of Water. That the classic trope. Oh, and if it's monster, then they're like other. There's so many fish guys hero. though. There's so many that's fish kinda, guys in his stuff. Hellboy, guys. Like not just like of Water. Well, yeah, he also has Abe in Hellboy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, was there a fish guy in Pan's Labyrinth? Feels like there's got to be a Pacific Rim got some big fish, fish boys. That's true. Mm-hmm. Technically, big fish boys. I don't care for. <laughs> I'm I'm excited for when we get to Pan's Labyrinth because I w- I think that you can handle that one because I can handle that one. It's yeah. mostly sweet. It's it's if a, you can handle it, then I can handle it probably. Most Wait, is that? A Jim Henson movie? No. No, that's Labyrinth. Labyrinth. I'm talking ha, about thank Pan's, you. Labyrinth. Ah. Pan's Labyrinth is a movie from the 2000s, which a lot of people don't even consider a horror movie. Yeah. It's it's like it's a dark chill. fantasy uh, historical period drama thing. Yeah, I don't call it a horror movie because the difference between me watching that movie where I'm... I was like very animated when we were watching that. Do you remember? I was like very excited. I was yeah. like clapping. I was like, this is amazing. You're a grand old time. I was yeah. really into it. It's a good movie. I'm and then excited. this movie, I'm just absolutely dead silent. Oh my so. goodness. It was watching it with you last night was so surreal because I, I did ask you like three times if you had fallen asleep, but you didn't move through the whole thing. And I'm very fidgety. Yeah, you, yeah, I feel normally. like I would I would be like shriveling up like a snail. Yeah, no, I I was like this is probably going to get to me and so I buried myself under like layer after layer of like old comforters and pillows and stuff like that and oh. I like anyway. Uh, you you wouldn't be you, he, I mean we were sitting on the couch together yeah. but he couldn't see me. No, I, I I could not see anything other than like a tuft of hair under a comforter and like three old pillows. <laughs> uh, and like that sounds normally like that would be a very comfortable position to watch a movie in, but it was just no, you're like just protecting yourself. I from was the just slings and arrows yeah. of outrageous fortune. Yeah, that's that's basically what it was. It was a it was a rough time, and I had to turn on. Uh, I ba- I think all I said after the movie was over was no. <laughs> I think I may, maybe I repeated no a few times. Uh, you said, 
I, I, I said, what did you think? You said no. Then you turned on Midnight Diner on Netflix yeah. and uh, sat in silence for 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that was a good episode, too. It was very cute. It was cute. very sweet. Yeah. yeah it, was about, it was about a girl who knits. Yeah. Aww. Yeah, and she knits things for all the, all the boys she likes, and then they don't like her back. And then there's this boy <gasps> who learns how to knit to, like, fix something that somebody else she knit something for, like, discarded because he oh, loves her and then they sweet. end up together That's just so knitting cute. a bunch yeah. yeah wait what is the show it's called midnight diner it's about um this diner in tokyo yeah that this one guy runs from like midnight to 7 a.m or something and he'll cook whatever the person wants as long as he has the ingredients for it mm. and so it's just like this tiny little table and like a kitchen i'm trying to remember what the name of those restaurants are um mm. and so you know people just kind of go there and to, to socialize and whatever and it just kind of follows it's like a sitcom sort of it just follows individual stories of these people who go into the diner and that's so cute i love that yeah i, will I definitely watch it i absolutely needed that yeah <laughs> it reminds couldn't... me of when we were little i was probably eight and my parents checked out this movie from the library that was a brothers Grimm movie mm. and it was a horror movie and they didn't know that or it was it was scary it was scary mm. like kind of still haunts me a little bit but mm. i have like an eight-year-old's memory of what was scary but i was so traumatized i only watched gumby for like a month solid oh. and then gumby started getting too scary and so then i only watched the <laughs> jesus movie for kids until i recovered emotionally to be fair gumby is scary yeah well, i was like gumby is safe there's nothing scary in gumby and then mm. i was like i'm f- pingu is what you gotta stick to <laughs> Yeah. One time in high school, a guy texted me and said, send newts. And I was like, excuse me, sir. And he sent me that gif. The newt, newt. And I was like, what? Uh, <laughs> a, uh, that's the most high school thing. Yeah. Sure. He, he was. He, hmm. um, Yo, Hunter. His name was Hi. Aiden. What? <gasps> yeah, Patrol. he was a jerk. We can call him Douchebag Aiden mm. instead. So we can. Well, his name in my phone Aiden. is Meme Dealer because he would send me memes. Mm. He got my friend into drugs and then he f- dropped out of school. <laughs> Not Aiden, my friend. Like, my friend, like, the first week of freshman year, like, was already, like, doing weed and out of school. Damn. Anyway, sorry. That's sorry So he's Douchebag Aiden. Aiden. Okay. Hunter, douche say something Aiden. sexy. Save oh, the podcast. Oh, hi. Um... I don't know. I feel like I have just like a weird other take on this movie because like I feel like my big takeaway from it is just kind of like in a weird way, like the aesthetics of it. Mm. Just because like the thing that I couldn't stop thinking about while watching it was just how much it had clearly informed other things that I like, Mm. like especially just I guess in other media, like especially in games because like Resident Evil 7 has so much of this movie in it mm. like in just mm-hmm. its base like premise and stuff that's why i was uncomfortable with the idea of playing resident evil 7 because yeah. i heard about the story and i was like i don't yeah. think i can handle like, that it's just the same thing it's like this weird just like seemingly abandoned house in a backwater part of southern america that has this weird uh, family in it that's got some weird things going on that you got to deal with and there's a chainsaw fight I think that's cool. the I think that's truly the scariest thing. <laughs> Families. A chainsaw fight like a lightsaber fight? Oh, yeah. if you want one like no. that, then you should watch Mandy. Yeah. Yes, and <laughs> and uh 
in preparation for watching this this week, I watched a lot of movies. I watched a lot of Giallo, which wound up not being terribly informative for mm. this episode, but we are covering Suspiria, yeah. so I have research for that. Yes. But I also watched the second and third Texas Chainsaw movies. <laughs> and the second Texas Chainsaw movie is an absolute gonzo, like, dark <laughs> horror comedy thing. It, Hunter it, giggles. I, I just have heard about this a lot from someone else. So well, it's, I'm interested. It has a chainsaw fight. It, like, ends with a chainsaw duel between Leatherface and a dude. <laughs> uh, no. Taserface? Taserface! It's, uh, that... So, just to let you know, uh... I was thinking a lot this week about whether or not movies uh, are possible. Can they be? Should <laughs> no. they be? <laughs> no. Are movies possible? No. Please discuss. No. Because looking into how Texas Chainsaw was made, I would say that the conditions that were put under the cast and crew were borderline abusive. <laughs> like, it yeah. was very unpleasant to shoot this movie. Oh, wait, Tim was telling me about that as the yeah. reason, like, this director was kind of known for hmm. being kind of abusive, but also making incredible stuff, right? So, Toby Hooper kind of did that in the first, uh, in Texas Chainsaw 1. Best I can tell, he, like, he didn't really continue that pattern further on. Didn't he do The Exorcist as well? No, he did Poltergeist. Poltergeist, Poltergeist which What's is the pretty difference? good. Uh, they're very say, different. Same difference. They're very different. Fucking different movies. Have man. you seen them both? I have seen them both. Yes, very different. Movies. So, as the other friend who has seen which them, is the horror movies, are, are, very but aren't different. both of them have a poster of like a girl, like a little girl putting her hands on a television? That's, that's Poltergeist. only Poltergeist. Yeah, the Exorcist is a dude standing outside a a house. No, so are Poltergeist is rated. You PG. guys can picture the poster for these movies. Yes. Yeah, I've seen them. I, I see them in my dreams. I, I mean, I they s- never I've, leave me. I've spent a lot of time on Letterbox. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Never mind. I guess yeah. I'm the odd one out. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just you go through like for after three years of like going on Letterbox every day and just randomly poking through rabbit holes until you like, oh yeah, this guy directed this and this and this and this, and eventually yeah. it just like all turns into like a library in your head. You know. Cool. Yes. So we have. So I was wrong. We have this. Uh, Toby Hooper in the first movie did some things uh, like specifically there are two scenes where the the actors were basically just like hitting each other with real like hard pieces of wood for like hours to get the take right. Uh, and then you like the scene where the the barbecue dude is like hitting the main girl with the broom that took like all night to film and mm. I was just a real broom and he's like, you need to just go at her. It's looking too fake. And it yeah. looked fake anyway. Yeah. It when did. he was hitting her with a, br- it looked, it, it, it did look weird. ridiculous. Uh, and then they had a, the scene where the hitchhiker son, uh, they get back to the house and the dad like hits him with this, this piece of wood. And the thing is it shot in a really long wide shot. And he's the dude specifically went up to Toby and asked him, "Hey, could we use like a piece of balsa wood or something? I'm like getting legitimately hurt." He's like, "No, it'll compromise the movie." And mm. then it's shot from like twenty feet away, and you <laughs> can't even tell what's going on. Jeez. And you're like, "Toby, Toby, Toby." <laughs> uh, 
You're the one that needs therapy. <laughs> you need some help right now. But in the second movie, uh, when the second movie was filming, everyone is treated like really well. It's a, it's a high-budget production by Canon Films. Hmm. Then uh, we get the studio problem because Canon Films comes in. They ask for changes, seemingly arbitrary, they constantly are changing the budget of the film, saying, you have this much money, no, you have this much money. And then when, uh, after the film is like 75% of the way complete, they're like, pull the warning bells. This isn't the movie you want to make anymore. Toby, uh, get out of here. The movie isn't like complete yet, and they just kind of cut it together into a movie that is... I think it still works, but it is very different from what was originally intended with the movie. And then the third... I don't even, like... I hear about that happening, and every time I'm just like, weird. So weird. That they did that. Like, with Justice League. Like, I didn't watch either Justice Leagues, because I'm not super into superhero movies, but, like, the fact that they were like, oh, we'll just, we'll just cobble it together, and then we'll, like, do another one with the same stuff, well, and, like, happens- cobble it together again. I'm like, what the heck? Well, Every it's- time a director pitches the movie that they want to make, Zack Snyder, I want to make a four-hour Justice League, <laughs> the studio says yes, then they say no, after they've already made most of it. Like, what? (laughs) Yeah. And that's a really interesting one, too, because you can see the difference that a cut can make. Mm. Because the the cut of Justice League, the theatrical cut that came out, is one of my least favorite movies that I've ever seen. I hate that movie. It's it's garbage. It's the worst. Made me so mad. Um, And then the new one at that like this was i I saw justice league when i didn't care about superhero movies Mm. i saw the new justice league when i still didn't care about superhero movies so it's not that i'm super invested but that movie's really good like i I legitimately think it's good watch both of them just to like see which shots like because you can you tell like i remember that scene but oh yeah yeah. different but it's it's, it is very different and and, Mm. but the difference is also justice league is like two hours and and the longer and Justice League Zack Snyder's Justice League or whatever is like four and a half hours. It's like Return of the King long. Nice. And well, there you go. It's, and you watch it in parts. Like I I watched yeah. it episodically. Like because it's it's split into like it has so, like title cards and stuff. Oh, cool. Um, I like title cards. Yeah, yeah, and there's this bit where Aquaman's really hot, and that's the only bit that I ever talk about. <laughs> oh, <laughs> every time. It's the you only thing the I mention about that movie. It drives people nuts. You know that that bit when, when they're playing. You know that bit when he's on screen. That bit when he's on screen and he t- and he takes off, he rips off his shirt, and, and the they're playing a Nick Cave motion. song, and and it's and the water just goes. Whoosh, whoosh, yeah, I guess so. And it's like hot. <laughs> it's really good, actually. <laughs> so that's art. Yeah. Okay, um, I'm really excited about it now. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's fun, but you know there are also other versions like Midsummer which the theatrical version is good, and then adding a bit more makes it not work as well. I, I think I'm not the majority opinion because mm. I'm the person who has seen both cuts. Mm-hmm. I think that the uh, director's cut of Midsummer is substantially worse than the theatrical yeah, cut. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, just because it it throws off the pacing a lot, yeah. mm-hmm. and mm. the the second the transition between the second and the third act in the film is the weakest part of the film for me. And the director's cut does not touch that part of the film at all. Hmm. It mostly touches the beginning of the film, which is 
I think the first 45 minutes of that movie are the most perfect sequence of movie that I have seen. The opening in, minutes? In a theater in my, in my life. Them. Like 45, yeah. like up until they go to Sweden. Yeah, no, that I agree. It's like that is perfect. That's mm. the reason why I like that movie is because of those opening 45 minutes because it's devastating, but it's perfect. It, it, Mids- it's, we're still talking about Midsummer, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's... uh. Okay. It, there, there's a lot in that movie that you really won't like, <laughs> um, yeah, but I you, feel like Anna. <laughs> watching a like, if, if you you could watch the first forty five minutes almost standalone as like, uh, an upsetting drama, yeah, and it would ha- and it's that and for that I mean it has Florence Pugh in it right I really oh like yeah her. gosh and she's really good I just don't think you're gonna like the like just I mean that movie does not hide its gore you've told me about it. It's been a long time since I've mentioned Cyrano de Bergerac on this podcast, so I'll mm-hmm. just mention it now. You told me about it the night we went to go see Cyrano, yeah. and I remember being like, no thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, because it, it just had a weird situation where, like, yeah, Wasn't I don't there know. a bear involved? There, Yeah. Yeah, yeah there yeah, there's was a bear. bear. <laughs> I'm not going to go into that more, but there's a bear. Yeah. Okay. Um, no spoilers for the movie we aren't talking about anymore. I think we've, I thought mm-hmm. we made this deal. But what I will say is that um, just off the top of my head, there's a few other examples, like very notable examples of studio interference that have completely changed the reception of movies forever. Mm. And sometimes it's done in a way that is irrevocable. Um, The Magnificent Ambersons Mm. has a different ending than Mm. what Orson Welles intended. Mm. And we don't really even know what the ending was supposed to be exactly. Mm. And the movie's well received, but everybody's like, well, what was Orson Welles trying to do? Because this was the studio's ending that they like yeah. shot and put it out and, and finished the cut and everything just completely without him. And he was like in tears over it and whatever. He, But we just like literally don't know what the ending of that movie's supposed to be. Did they fire him and then try and finish the movie without no. him? No, they just, they just worked around him. Essentially. The, after that film came out, he moved to France and didn't talk to the studio system for almost the rest of his life. Like, yeah. that's how bad that experience was for him. And that was only Dang. his second movie. <laughs> after making Citizen Kane. Yeah, like after making, you know, what even then was considered the greatest film ever made. Then they did that to him. And then he was just burned out for the rest. Like, he just, no, absolutely yeah, not. Not working with studios. Made French movies forever. Yeah. Which is... So is is there how do we ethically make movies? Because for a long time I'd been like, no, we just need the indie scene. But a lot of the time in the indie scene, there's so little money there that you can't actually afford to treat people well. If yeah, that makes like sense. Like you can't pay actors, you're putting in a lot of extra work and it's it's you mm. wind up ending up in the film equivalent of crunch culture from video games. Right. You know, where people are just working 60 70 hour weeks on this thing because they they need to get it done i think you have to be like a noah bombach regular or like a wes anderson regular or something like that to be ethically treated in in Mm -hmm. a movie context you know what i mean where like i don't know like the way that both of them do it is like this is like a rotating cast or uh, these are the people that i that i use and you know how it works you show up you do the thing you put in your performances and there's enough money here that you get paid, but there's also, you know, creative control and, and there's all these things. So you get good movies, but 
you also get the money behind it. You you get good movies, you get money, but also even within like that, we don't at the moment have what I'd consider a perfect system or any even like pretty perfect systems. Like you, you still get a bunch of complaints from filmmakers like those who wind up just making movies for white dudes that other people enjoy. Okay, well then Jim Jarmish, because he doesn't do that. But he also, in yeah. s- he has to fight with studios. He's like, I'm basically, I'm not going to make a movie with you. I'm not going to work with you if I don't get Final Cut. And he just full on says that. And so the companies that he now works with just understand that. And regardless of what he does, they give him Final Cut. And he's allowed to make movies that are going to critically bomb or whatever with, mm-hmm. you know, big budget names and do the thing that he wants to do with as much weirdness and diversity as he wants to. Yeah. Because and it's fine. The studio system is just garbage and mm-hmm. just doesn't it's it's based off of just trying to gain capital. Yep. Pretty purely and doing whatever they need to to do that. And that isn't really a healthy system for anything. It's a system where every movie produced within it, uh even the best ones if the studio system wasn't there, probably could have been a bit like better for those involved. That's true. But at the same time, you need you do need some sort of system in place to be able to put limits on people to make sure that people are safe, to make sure that uh you know, you don't run into like an apocalypse now situation where they're shooting a movie for like five years and everyone's and, and they're just like, just do whatever, Francis, just do whatever. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I feel like I don't have an answer for you because it's like we need total reform. But then also that sucks. And like accountability is really important, but also a capitalist run like money-minded situation especially with art like if you're running your art based on capitalism like that's Mm. kind of Mm. let's just get rid of everything i was gonna say money and then i was like no everything nothing if nothing exists and all the art is created in our dreams then nothing it's like the Matrix. Can happen. We just need to build dream machines. That's the twist of the That's, fourth Matrix movie. Yeah. What's going to be, we're going to wake up from the Matrix, inside the Matrix, and realize that it's just a system that we all built so that we could fully realize our dreams. Yeah. Like, the, <laughs> them, like, fighting, you know, to, to, to save the humans and such. That The whole point yeah. of that was ultimately just for self-actualization. Yeah. And it wasn't real. Because they built the first Matrix, and they realized that if there isn't any conflict in the system, then uh, people's lives become meaningless. So they made a manufactured an antagonist. It's beautiful. And then it killed some of them. So the antagonist in this situation is the studios, and like without conflict, then like what's the point? Yeah, we do... Well, a lot of like really good things are created under a lot of, I I have written about this before and I think I've done a rant Mm -hmm. about this on the podcast, but there is like some, some medium to be found between like 
some sort of necessary friction to create art mm. and it being unethical or just bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like there, there's there's some line to walk there. Well, it's like that mar- that's that bit in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel where she like is trying to get on the stage and she keeps getting pushed back because all these dudes are like, it's my joint. Like, I'm going to go up and do my stand-up. And finally she gets up there and she's like, what the heck, dudes? Like, why are you guys making comedy? Because comedy is born out of, like, hardship and y'all y'all are white men. Like, hey. Anyway, I'm like, I don't know. It's a good That's an interesting quote and, like, an yeah. interesting concept that mm-hmm. I don't know how we got here, really, but we're here. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's weird because it feels like if you go back far enough into, you know, well, yeah, stuff like comedy or or just like why something is is big or popular had some sort of like profound impact on people. It, it did kind of come from this like, you know, borderline like underdog type situation and then made money and built itself up to be a thing that is monolithic and just mm. therefore no longer has anything in common Mm. with the thing that it is almost like harry potter yeah like it started as this really like cool underdog like jk rowling and now it's like now she's like a billionaire like funding transphobic shit yeah (laughs) yes that's what it is do we have more thoughts about horror and gen- horror movies or like i don't know we've talked a lot about a lot of really interesting like society con concepts of society and i don't know the we, conversation around horror films is interesting i'll never watch one willingly well, but like, I, I do think that there are probably some things that technically count as horror movies that you would get something out of yeah. and enjoy that we actually, could watch and there are some on this list that i will watch we'll yes see. so i However, redact my entire statement i think things you'll like be this are terrible and they're so good, probably, but I don't know how there's anything I can get. F- it just pain. Yes, Hunter, do you think you'd be fine with Suspiria? Having not seen the original, I don't uh, feel like I know enough to say. Okay, it's it's again uh, sort of. I would say it's it's a horror movie, but it's a lot more dark fantasy. Like it's a, a ballet school run by witches, and the lighting oh, and set design is all weird and stuff and dreamy. Um, I've yeah. been told that I would be okay with it, so yeah. We'll and see. Evil Dead Two, I don't know. It's it's goofy enough that you might. be I fine. thought that one was just kind of like a schlocky nothing. Like I, I assumed that was going to be more like the Dead Don't Die or something. Oh well, so the thing is, it is a a gore farce. It <laughs> is a farce <laughs> with gore. <laughs> Uh, there's a scene, one of the more, like, a famous scene, Bruce Campbell's hand gets infected by demons or something, so he cuts it off with a chainsaw, then has a wrestling match with it, and it, like... See, like, I think some of it, too, like, if there's a sense of comedy, and, like, they're not trying to be serious, or, like, they're not trying to make me feel scared, then I'm like, this is funny, ha! But, like, with Mm -hmm. this kind of thing, I'm like, you poor baby! Oh, no! Yeah. Yeah. Like, in theory... I could, I could, I could somehow make the meat hook not ruin my life. However, in the context of this, no, Uh, it's not, it's actually cool, but yeah, I, I, but I, it doesn't change it for me. It doesn't, it doesn't make it less bad because it's, it's all the psychological 
stuff yeah. in that scene that makes that hurt, I guess. Yeah. Well, the original desire for the meat hook, Toby, Toby Hooper asked that the meat hook, when she gets hung, like it would like spring out of her chest and there'd be like blood and everything. Oh, yeah. Didn't happen in the movie. <laughs> in the movie, he just kind of hangs her there. That and, it makes it so much more uncomfortable. Yes, actually, it it makes it worse. Because you're wondering where it is. See, because okay, you just know is, it's yeah. just going through her back. You know what I mean? Except, except it wasn't through her back. What they did is because she didn't like she had a very she didn't have like that m- much clothes covering her, so there wasn't much. Yeah, that's actually something I wanted to say. There's definitely some like very very weird like male gazy shots in this movie that are upsetting too. Yeah. yeah. Well, what gets me is that do you know that shot where it's a low angle shot? It's a lo- low angle like tracking shot. You're following someone as they're walking, and you're like looking up at the at them from like below. Uh, and it's the the, the, the the shot is very focused on the the ass of whoever <laughs> is in the shot. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have seen that shot used with nearly as many male subjects as female subjects. Yeah. No, absolutely. In the way that it's done in this one feels particularly bad. Feel I mean, great. can we talk about that whole scene in Bill and Ted's bogus journey where it's like just her butt like swiveling uh-huh. oh, in front of goodness. the camera for like a minute? Yes. <laughs> what was that? You know, just, it was uh, disgusting. just because we can or something. And then you find out that it wasn't even like it was just the one dude like disguised as a woman. Yeah. When you find out it was George Carlin all along. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. I don't know. I was going to say something about horror movies. There is a genre that's like psychological horror, but for yeah. me, it's all psycho. Like, I, mm-hmm. I almost wonder if that genre is useless slash oh, doesn't, well, it's like unnecessary, but so I don't, maybe I don't know. The, the reason that subgenre exists is that it is a horror movie without any of the blood and guts and gore and ghosts or ah, monsters. Okay. So That's, for me, it's just like all psychological horror, but like sometimes there's blood and sometimes there's yeah, not. Most movies have psychological horror. There are a bunch of creature features and like slashers that are completely unpsychological. I'm fine with those. They're, they're I just can watch like, those. Yeah. Uh, but the psychological horror or psychological thriller, as some people call it, like with Silence of the Lambs and stuff, is really just there to describe a movie that is still like horrifying but doesn't like do anything gross that you can say ah he cut off his arm it's a horror movie gotcha it's a good voice horror movie (laughs) okay well yeah i'm really curious what y'all think about eraserhead but we'll get there next time we are almost there was also making me think too we have the thing on the list and that's kind of more just like straight kind of body horror it's just kind of monster schlocky though right it's not no it plays it pretty straight i feel yeah it plays it very straight um it is not schlock there's some unsettling i guess i just think that everything from like the 80s or whatever is gonna be like goofy i and like the gremlins or something that's just what it all is in my head and that's why i'm like oh that'd be fine has tim seen uh the thing probably ask him go to like hey is this okay for me uh, of course, he showed me Persona, and that, like, wrecked me, so we'll yeah. see. Give a uh, mm. litmus test there, because you might actually find it a bit fun. Uh, 
as but it also might wreck you. I don't know you quite we'll well enough to be able well, to Well, wait tell. a minute, but John Carpenter did like Big Trouble in Little China. Yes. It's not like that at all. No, not no. remotely. Aww. It is completely straight face. That's kind of why I was excited to watch. I was like, well, maybe it's like a, you know, trying to be like a spoofy horror thing, but mm. it's like Big Trouble. It is uh really good. It's so. fantastic. The effects are so so good it's so good it's I so love. good I tim like gave it. it five stars oh, good tim, tim. yes Bye, tim did he leave a review no he didn't leave a review so ask tim it's 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 a good movie though okay i think you'd have a lot more fun with that movie than you did texas chainsaw it's uh more tense and less upsetting Agreed. yeah i'll get i'll do yeah, it yeah i i don't remember watching the thing and being like having that same unsettled like I'm okay with the tenseness as long as when the movie's over, I'm not like (laughs) (laughs) nonverbal. It's it's more Uh, explicit on screen stuff. Like they just do weird things to the human body uh, that I love. uh, It's great. I don't love that either. It's not not like organs or anything. It's like flesh becoming other things yeah okay like so anyway snacks. let's wrap it up it. thanks for everyone <laughs> uh, bug snacks is, does Silas still support us snacks. on Patreon no we don't have no uh, one on Patreon uh, people hate us Hunter find the quote uh, quotes, uh, you can find us on words in it. movie overload podcast dot com there's some stuff social there's media, some dinner scenes uh, Letterboxd especially is the one that we post on sometimes sometimes although uh somebody uh, lost the password so we haven't been able to access it it for a while i mean i can still access it in one browser but it takes time to like do a post and i'm lazy and i you haven't done it in like three weeks yeah i've been busy i'm like doing stuff just reset the password and send it over to us we're not as busy as you are it takes as much work to reset the password as it does to do a post just too much. But then work. you'd never have to do the p- post again. Yes. <laughs> Good grief, Hunter! Have you found the quote? Uh, uh, Disassociated chainsaw noise. I, I do think that mm-hmm. if uh, we put uh, *Knife of the Living Dead* instead of *Texas Chainsaw* on the list, uh, both of you probably would have been able to watch it and be fine. Yeah, probably. Because well, that's it's too late now. Yeah, because that's what *Shaun of the Dead* is spoofing, right? It's just spoofing yeah, zombie movies like it's generally. Just a lot of things, mm-hmm. yeah. No, uh, no one the whole thing in wave of Romero zombie movies, specifically the later ones. The first one actually is is r- really different, um, mm. sort of stuff. Anyways, it's uh, it has a lot of interesting history behind it, but it kind of fits the same plot as like the early sort of horror, independent horror that wound up like being very successful. And opening up the way for the like low budget right. scene of the yeah. 80s and 90s. Well, I don't have a problem with zombie movies. Yeah. They don't scare me, really. Which they aren't really supposed to. So, Right? They are. They're horror movies. They're, I, I, I don't find zombies particularly scary yeah. either. But they do really get to some people. Because it's the idea of like, you know, it's a person you know, but they're dead now. Yeah, well, I think something like World War Z Coming would probably be upsetting. I don't like no. the like no. disagree. That I don't is, like the end disagree. of the world kind of like dystopian. There's nothing. It's just all just like an see, movie. big that, fast zombies. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would like it. 
you might not like 28 days later, yeah. 28 weeks later. Yeah. Uh, World War Z is just kind of boring. It's just like oh, okay. Which dumb is, action movie. That's yeah. like not good. Hmm. So I don't think you'd be that upset. Okay. Anyway, who thinks two people like horror movies, two people are <laughs> sensitive? Hooray. Woo, right. That's why, you know, we got our diversity question mark. Yep. Yeah, we're yeah. all about diversity, even though yeah. we're all white. That's okay. Although, okay, so a question now, though. Mm. Our next podcast episode is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> oh, gosh, that when one's was, scary. When was the, the last bunny? time we did a pure comedy? Was it Have like we duck ever soup? done a pure? Oh, duck soup. Yeah. Like I'm so excited because I watched this yesterday and had a great time. It's always a good time. It's a- whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> we don't even have to try. It's always a good time. Bit that song made me bit. uncomfortable when I was 11. Why? Because I was like, I was like, I really liked it, and then I was like, oh my gosh, it's about sex, and then yeah. I was like, ah. Uh. I guess it I was have like, to be about sex, though. I think it's. You're it's right. You don't have to read it about like, as being sex. I but guess. as soon as I like realized, uh, I was like, ah, crap! Now I can't like this song anymore. Yeah, Duck Soup is the only str- like straight comedy we've ever done. I don't think it ever bothered me that much because the lead singer of Owl City is the most sexless human being that has ever lived. So <laughs> I, it, Adam I never. Young, yeah. 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 And Carly Rae Jepsen back then and still now is not like a very. Uh, I I don't know I don't I don't read her as a very like sex. She's not a sex performer. icon person. No. Yeah. I don't think that's like her her no. marketing pitch it's like cute indie girl scene yeah it's just it's it, yeah it's just Hunter, a cutesy do you have a vibe. quote yet yeah yeah as we say when so. we end the podcasting I, I looked time. at the quotes and i just like that i saw i forgot the line but i saw hitchhiker boy just like one of his lines was saying something like my family's always been in meat and i'm like oh Ooh. that was pretty good because didn't know what he was really talking about and then you find now out. Now I do. Me. I, I guess that's it. Well, oh, I have one for you. Um, I'm turning favorite... on the air conditioner now. Suck it, <laughs> media man. My favorite quote is the one that goes, Ah! Yeah. Yes. Yeah, running away. Where they're screaming they scream for, for hours. For like 15 minutes straight, yeah. pretty much. Cool. S- well, the audio is completely unusable. Yeah. No. I'll see you. Goodbye. Bye. Boo, 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 boo. Boo, 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 boo.